Welcome to the Chopped Guillotine Fantasy Football Podcast with your host, Joe Harris. Did you guys hear that? Did you guys hear that? We have intro music now. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome into the Chopped Guillotine Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Harris, and today's episode is sponsored by the concept of intro music. Not specifically our intro music, but just the concept that someone decided, you know what? We're going to have a little tiny song just at the very beginning of a podcast, and we're going to do that every time. Whoever came up with that, they are the sponsor of today's episode, and we greatly appreciate the work that they've done. Today's episode is going to be part three. It's going to be the final part of our ultimate guillotine draft guide. Just a few days ago, I had my first guillotine draft of the season. I've got a couple more coming up tomorrow, but I had to get one episode in just to make sure that if any of you were out there doing a guillotine draft on Memorial Day, which isn't crazy, Memorial Day is actually the day where the most fantasy football drafts are conducted in the country. If you're going to be one of those people having a guillotine draft on Memorial Day with 17 of your closest friends, you're going to want to learn from all of the mistakes that 17 of my closest friends made this past Thursday. Before we get into that, we've got a little bit of news and notes that I wanted to cover before we jump in. So, Our most recent episode, episode 7, where we talked about specific players and their different values in guillotine fantasy football, we've had a few pretty significant updates to different players and their values, and we're going to go through them before we start getting into the notes that were made over the most recent draft. The first bit of news, which probably you have heard of by now, at least I would hope you've heard of by now, Cooper Cup one of the best wide receivers in NFL football, in fantasy football. A great pick by all accounts in earlier drafts has suffered a hamstring setback. He already had a hamstring injury, and this is why I tell you not to draft people who have, you know, any level of injury designation. But no one expected Cooper Cup to suffer an extra injury on top of that, right? He was going in the top five or six picks of every draft. I had no problem with him going in those top five or six picks. Um, Now it's a pretty big problem. Cooper Cup should not be going anywhere near those top five or six picks. He shouldn't be going in the top two or three rounds, honestly, of a guillotine fantasy football draft. Now, If you're doing a regular redraft, Cooper Cup misses, what, two weeks of the season, and then he goes back to being probably one of the best wide receivers in fantasy football, you're not going to be super mad at yourself with a Cooper Cup pick. Unless you're playing in a league where the person who scores the lowest amount of points on any given week is simply deleted. Their team no longer exists. Their players are now everyone else's players. You don't want to be the person who spends the high draft capital 
on Cooper Cup and then never gets any fantasy points out of them. Let that be your friends. Let that be one of your 17 closest friends who you, for whatever reason, have not shared this podcast with so they don't know how bad of a pick Cooper Cup is at the top of a guillotine draft. For some context, um, he's currently going at 13th overall. That's his ranking on ESPN right now, at least. Um, tomorrow, I will know exactly where he's going in guillotine drafts because I will have, like I said earlier, I will have two drafts to figure out what the people think about Cooper Cup. For me, I don't think you should be taking him until you have at least two foundational players on your team. And one of those two foundational players should either be Travis Kelsey or an elite quarterback. Because those are players that have the ability to fill holes in your roster for the early parts of a season. And, you know, I'm going to start getting into a few more values that have been created. You know that there's values late in the draft that are going to provide a lot of points for you early on in the year, maybe not as many later on in, later on in the year. And that's why they're going so late in the draft. So it's not impossible to take Cooper Cup early. And if you know what you're doing, you can make your way through the first few weeks. But it's a really big risk. And you have to do it right. And the thing is, someone else in your league is going to do it wrong, and they're going to do it first. right? They're going to say, oh, Cooper Cup's ranked at 13. That makes sense. I'm going to wait until 28 to draft him. Great. The second best player on their team doesn't play football for the first, what, two weeks? A month of the season? It's hard to stick around when your second best player is just a goose egg on your bench week in and week out. It's not a recipe for success. If you can get Cooper Cup at a good value, he can't be the second best player on your team. And if you've already gotten people who you think are really reliable and outliers relative to their position, then it's okay to take Cooper Cup and cobble your way through the early part of the season. It's a risk. It's a high-risk, high-reward play. But it's not that crazy. Still, you're probably, if you're listening to this, you're not going to get the chance to execute that play because someone will still take him in the first round. It's not all bad news, though. It's mostly bad news. It is. But Cooper Cup being gone for these first few weeks of the season means that two people get a pretty enormous boost to their value. Those people are Tyler Higby, the tight end for the LA Rams, and more importantly, Van Jefferson, the wide receiver two for the LA Rams, who was going to step into the wide receiver one role in Cooper Cup's absence. Tyler Higby is a tight end. Tight ends suck. We know this. They shouldn't exist for fantasy football, period, but they do. You have to play them. You have to know about them. Tyler Higby might be Matthew Stafford's top target without Cooper Cup on the field. We saw that in very limited action last year um, on snaps that Cooper Cup wasn't on the field, which there weren't very many of them. Tyler Higby did have the greatest uh, target share. 
it's pretty limited action, but it's really all that we have to all that we have to go off of because by the time that Cooper Cup was injured last year, Matthew Stafford had already been shut down. Still, a tight end that's going to get a pretty reliable six to eight targets in week one, if not more than that, going at pick 116 is a pretty stellar value, especially considering how high tight ends get pushed up in these drafts, which we'll get into that um, in a bit when we get into what we learned from the first guillotine draft of the season. Van Jefferson, as I mentioned earlier, the wide receiver two, who will be the wide receiver one for the Rams for the first two weeks to month of the season, depending on how long it takes for Cooper Cup's hamstring to get better. He's going at pick 180. That is the last pick in the 10th round of the draft. This is a guy who will start for you in week one. He, he plays in over most wide receiver threes in a guillotine format, and he definitely plays in over any flex that you have, unless you're flexing some running back value that you got. That's just absurd. You had to draft him, which I saw that happen. Actually, I've been there. Van Jefferson is a can't miss pick at 180. You should be pushing him up by 20 to 30 spots. The reason that he's at 180 is because before the injury news, he was going at around pick 200, 210. ESPN pushed him up 30 spots. You need to push him up an extra 30 spots. He is that valuable. He He's going to go into this week and be projected to score anywhere between 13 and 15 points, most likely. You are not finding anyone like that past pick 120 in your drafts. So great, you get him at 150. Superb value. You can immediately take him, if you like the rest of your team, if you don't want to deal with Jeff Wilson, Whoever made the mistake of drafting Cooper Cup probably really needs Van Jefferson. I called him Jeff Wilson a second ago. I apologize. You can turn Van Jefferson, the ninth or 10th best player on your team, into a serious chunk of free agent budget. Because once Cooper Cup's fantasy projection drops to zero, which on most sites it hasn't yet, and once Van Jefferson's fantasy projection jumps to 13 or 14 in response to that, the value is through the roof. I lucked out in my most recent draft. I got Van Jefferson with my 12th round pick, and I am sitting on him. I am waiting for ESPN to come out with that projection because there is something psychological about it. Everyone in the league knows that Van Jefferson has a lot of value right now, but it's really really hard to trade for a guy whenever he's projected for less than double-digit fantasy points. I know that I can get more value if I wait and if I let that number get bigger. You should know that too. Or at least you should think that too. I guess it's not a scientific fact. I'll do some work into that though. I'll study that over the course of the three leagues that I'm doing this year and figure out what's the projection actually has an effect on the trade value. We'll see. In more bad news related to the Cooper Cup news, Matthew Stafford is completely undraftable. 
Like it, there, there's no, there's no reason to draft Matthew Stafford at all. He's he's going really late. He is past pick two hundred in ESPN rankings. He's still undraftable. We're talking about someone who had multiple injuries last year, who is struggling to relate to his teammates, whose best. If you don't get the reference, don't worry about it. I'm not actually taking a shot at Matthew Stafford. That's something his wife said. But most importantly, he's missing a guy who produces 40% of Matthew Stafford's fantasy points. Cooper Cup is responsible for nearly half of all of Matthew Stafford's fantasy points since Matthew Stafford joined the Rams. When that goes away, there's no upside. There's no floor. There's no reason to put Matthew Stafford anywhere near your team. You don't even want to draft him and put him on your bench because of how that might just, I don't know, miraculously weigh down the rest of your team by the level of suckage that we are going to see from Matthew Stafford in fantasy lineups. Do not let him anywhere near your team. You should be drafting Baker Mayfield and Josh Dobbs before Matthew Stafford, and that is not hyperbole. Baker Mayfield has great weapons. He's also a dumbass, but he has great weapons. Josh Dobbs has never been a great starting quarterback, but he is A, a literal rocket scientist. He worked for NASA in the offseason. Crazy stories. And he's also, he's a guy who can run. Matt Stafford has no weapons, might have a right shoulder, and he can't run. Don't draft him. Um, it's also a huge blow to Akers. Cam Akers running back for the Rams. Um, he's going at 63. He's ranked 63rd in ESPN PPR leagues. You should be dropping him to around 80 or so. He He's currently going in the range of guys like Kenneth Walker, Jonathan Taylor, who's you know his own big red flag, um, Miles Sanders, James Conner, Alexander Madison, he needs to be going more in the range of Antonio Gibson, DeAndre Swift, and Khalil Herbert, just because it's almost impossible to expect the early parts of this season going well for him at all. For a running back to score points, they have to be on a somewhat functional offense, and I don't think there's much of a chance of this offense functioning without Cooper Cup. Wide receivers it's less important to be on a good offense just because if you're on a bad offense, then your team's losing, then you're going to be passing all the time late in the game. And obviously the opposite is true for running backs. You're not going to have as many attempts later in the game because your team's losing and they need to throw to the wide receivers. So that's why the pass catchers, Tyler Higby and Van Jefferson are getting a boost from this injury and Cam Akers should probably just come off your draft board entirely along with Matthew Stafford. The last bit of sad news, uh, Jeff Wilson sadly was placed on the IR. Jeff Wilson is truly one of my guillotine fantasy football heroes. I traded him for Kenneth Walker straight up right before Kenneth Walker, you know, became incredible last year. Uh, and then 
Jeff Wilson immediately laid an egg. He scored 0.2 points in his next game, and the guy who I traded him to was eliminated. So Jeff Wilson will always have a special place in my heart, and that special place in my heart is breaking that Jeff Wilson will miss at least the first four games of the season. What that means for you is Raheem Mostert, who's currently ranked at 111 in ESPN PPR drafts, is a screaming value. He should be catapulting up your boards. This is another guy that needs to be drafted um, in the range of the new Cam Akers range that I was talking about earlier with guys like Khalil Herbert, DeAndre Swift, Brian Robinson. I, I feel almost crazy saying it. I think that Raheem Mostert is more valuable to a guillotine fantasy team right now than Cam Akers is. I think he's a better draft pick. And if it came down to it, I would take Mostert over Akers just because I do not see a path to Cam Akers scoring fantasy points for the first however long Cooper Cup is out. Raheem Mostert, while he's on the older side, he's on what we know is an explosive offense, and we know that Raheem Mostert, despite being 31, has elite speed still. This is a guy who can break long runs, who can score, and who's going to get work on an elite offense. Of the guys who I just mentioned, of the guys who he's going to go in that range, Brian Robinson Jr., Khalil Herbert, Cam Akers, these aren't guys on super high-powered offenses where he's running next to Tyree Kill and Jalen Waddell. Having someone of that caliber on a caliber of that offense being taken this late in drafts is robbery, especially because he can he can fill one of the holes that is left in your roster just by the nature of you know these being really, really deep leagues. So Raheem Mostert, currently ranked at 111. If you get him at 111, you've committed highway robbery. You're, you should be looking at him at around pick 80 to 90. Jeff Wilson is still a fine late round pick. He's got to be one of your last two or three picks, but the good thing about Jeff Wilson right now is he already has the injured reserve designation, and so you can draft him, immediately put him on your IR spot, and then just pick someone else up off of waivers. A really good guy to pick up off of waivers, Sylvan Ahmed, who is now the RB2 in Miami, thanks to the Jeff Wilson injury. That's pretty enormous upside considering that the RB1, who I who I do really like and think you should be drafting, he's 31. In running back years, that's like 82, right? Sylvan Ahmed might not be super involved week one. I don't expect him to, but if anything happens to the oft-injured and up-there-in-age Raheem Mostert, Sylvan Ahmed is a game-changing pickup for you. He is at the top of your waiver wire priority if you have already drafted. He likely was not drafted originally. Get him on your team with either a late pick or a waiver pickup, especially if you own either... Mostert, or Jeff Wilson. But now that we've gotten all of that out of the way, we're going to transition into the main event of today's episode, which is learning from my friend's dumb mistakes. I did this draft on Thursday, right before the Cooper Cup news broke, 
So not everything is uh, reflected in this draft. Not everything that we know now is reflected in this draft. But there's still quite a few tips and tricks and things that were picked up on in a live draft that you know you just don't always think about leading up to the draft. And that's what we're going to talk about today. The first of which is not something that you can plan for. It's just something I'm going to point out. The top seven picks in a snake draft, especially in a guillotine league, are incredibly valuable. When there are 18 picks per round, you, you know that you're going to have a pretty, a pretty shallow team. You're going to have trouble finding depth. When you have one of these top seven picks, you get a top seven player, potentially Travis Kelsey. He should be the first overall pick in case you haven't been listening to anything I've said all offseason. Travis Kelsey should be the first overall pick in a guillotine league. He gives you a huge advantage over all eight, all 17 other teams in the league, and it makes it really hard for you to have the lowest score. We'll put that aside. The top seven guys, Austin Eckler and Christian McCaffrey at running back. You've got Travis Kelsey, and you've got four wide receivers in Justin Jefferson, Jamar Chase, Tyreek Hill, and Stefan Diggs in PPR. Those are all cornerstones. Those are guys that you know if the goal is to win the league, they will be on your team for the entire duration of the season. Come hell or high water, they are a cornerstone of your roster and they will they will always be on it. There is no situation where it comes down to a week 17 matchup where it's just you and one other guy and any of those seven players you don't want to be starting unless they're injured. So, not only do those first seven picks get you an elite cornerstone piece for your team, but you also have to think about the wraparound in round three. That is when I really noticed how valuable these top seven picks are. The guys who are going early in round three include Damian Pierce, Lamar Jackson, Keenan Allen, Justin Fields, Amari Cooper, Ramondre Stevenson, and Christian Watson. These are all big fantasy names, right? The guys that go immediately after that, there's a pretty significant drop-off. Right, You're looking at DeAndre Hopkins, who's old and plays for a run-heavy team. You've got TJ Hawkinson, who I, I've given a whole spiel on TJ Hawkinson. Uh, you can find that in my previous episode, Episode 7, Players uh, to Target or Avoid in Guillotine Fantasy Football. Shameless plug, self-promotion. Darren Waller went in this range. Joe Burrow went right after that. DJ Moore. Kenneth Walker all right, after that, those are guys of a pretty clearly different caliber than Lamar Jackson, Keenan Allen, Damian Pierce, and Ramondre Stevenson. The drop-off between picks seven and eight in the first round is pretty severe. The drop-off between picks seven and eight in the third round is also pretty big. So for that reason, I don't know who you have to bribe, who you have to give sexual favors to, Get a pick in the top seven of your guillotine draft. And it will be way harder for you to lose immediately. 
but not impossible. We'll get to that later. Tip number two that I picked up on and I mentioned it very briefly, but I think it needs to be talked about more just because of how severely this was not listened to in this draft. And I don't want to say most of the people in this league listen to my podcast, but I think I think a lot of them do. We're looking at at least half. At least half of the people in this league listen to this podcast, and at least half of them should have known better than to fall for position runs. If you don't know what a position run is, it's when one person drafts, let's say, a tight end, for instance, and then the next person goes, oh no, I was going to get that guy. I guess I'll take the second best tight end because I still really want a tight end at this spot. And then the third person does the exact same thing that the second person does. And then everyone else sees three tight ends in a row go off the board and they go, oh shit, I better act now. And then everyone starts reaching aggressively for tight ends and you get you get George Kittle being taken in the third round. For what? For no reason other than a perceived positional scarcity that had to be rectified. And it doesn't. Just because other people are reaching and making bad picks does not mean you should reach and make bad picks. The worst reach I have seen in the history, in my personal history, of playing fantasy football was made because of this exact fear that's completely unfounded. Don't reach for players just because other people are. Let me lay this out for you. In round two, I had the first pick in round two because I won this league last year, disputedly, but I did. Um, (laughs) Week 17 was a mess last year. The DeMar Hamlin situation, obviously that's way bigger than any little fantasy football things, so I'm not actually going to complain about having to dispute that, but effectively, I won the league last year, and I had the last pick in the first round, which means I had the first pick in the second round. I took Patrick Mahomes. I think that the Patrick Mahomes watch, honestly, should start at pick number eight. I think once you get out of those cornerstone top seven skill position pieces, why not start looking at cornerstones for other parts of your roster? The only other part of your roster, the quarterback position, which can cover up a whole lot of holes. So... I was really happy to get Patrick Mahomes at the very start of round one. Uh, Sorry, at the very start of round two, I took Amon Ross St. Brown uh, to round out my round one. So I love the start of my draft. Right after Josh Allen goes, T. Higgins sneaks his way in there. Didn't love the pick for, you know, reasons that I've talked about on previous shows, but there's nothing wrong with T. Higgins. The dude gets a lot of catches. He always has a good shot at the end zone. He's going to have more than a 1,000 yards year in and year out as long as he plays with Joe Burrow. Nothing wrong with T. Higgins' pick. Right after T. Higgins, Jalen Hurts goes. So in four consecutive picks, three quarterbacks had gone. Now, if you're sitting there with the fifth pick in round two, you have two options. You can either draft a guy like A.J. Brown or Joe Mixon or Chris Olave Mark Andrews even is in play there. There's lots of great options. Or 
you can panic buy on a quarterback because you think there might be no quarterbacks left by the time your next pick comes around. Do not do that. Ever. It, it's not excusable for two reasons. First, this wasn't even a quarterback run, right? These are just the top three quarterbacks getting drafted probably two or three picks ahead of where they're being taken in a regular league. I think Patrick Mahomes' ADP is actually at 13 right now. Let me check that. Yeah. Yeah, I've got Fantasy Pro's ADP right here, which is a uh, conglomeration of every major fantasy site. On every major fantasy site combined, Patrick Mahomes is in fact the 13th pick. So by ADP, not even a reach. With the fifth pick in round two, seeing three quarterbacks go before him, crossbow expert Travis Jones selected Trevor Lawrence. With the 23rd overall pick in the draft, selected a player who was ranked 77 on ESPN. Out of, you know, out of the fear that maybe there's going to be no quarterback left. And does it sound ridiculous in this moment, listening right now? Yeah. Yeah, it totally does. But in that moment, he was terrified that he wasn't going to have access to another one, to another good quarterback. In case anyone's keeping track at home, um, he absolutely would have by the time his next pick rolled around. Um, Justin Herbert was taken right before his round three pick. Justin Herbert is ranked well above uh, Trevor Lawrence, so odds are definitely in favor of Trevor Lawrence having made it back to him. Regardless, it, it's not about whether or not the pick was needed to get Trevor Lawrence, because it definitely wasn't. It's about whether or not crossbow expert Travis Jones felt fear in his heart when Jalen Hurts was selected right before him. And he did. But that fear made him do something stupid. Don't do something stupid, even if you're afraid. Kind of on this same level, um, don't think that you're smarter than everyone. He justified this pick by saying, well, ESPN is way too low on Trevor Lawrence. I think Trevor Lawrence is going to be really good. Great. You're totally entitled to think that. Like, you're, you're allowed to like players. There's nothing wrong with really liking players. There's a lot of guys who I really like. Don't try to be the smartest person in the draft. Generally, the, the guy who thinks he's the smartest person in the draft makes one or two really far out there picks. A good way to tell if your intuition on a guy is right or wrong based on a draft board is you want to use Fantasy Pro's expert consensus rankings. This is one of the best tools just in all of fantasy football. They have 155 experts across 80 different sites. So we're talking ESPN, we're talking Yahoo, we're talking Sleeper. Wherever you play fantasy football, they have aggregated the rankings from there, and they have 155 experts all combined in their top 300 or top 200 players or whatever to give a list of the industry consensus 
if one site is way off on a player, you can figure that out by looking at these expert consensus rankings on Fantasy Pros. I promise it's not sponsored. They just provide a really good service and it's free. Check it out. So, for example, ESPN has Trevor Lawrence ranked at 73. The Fantasy Pros expert consensus rankings have him at 68. So saying that, well, ESPN's just dumb for having him this low, maybe. But, but for that to be true, then everyone has to be dumb for having him that low. So if you're going into your draft and you're thinking that you're smarter than everyone, you might want to entertain, just for a little bit, the possibility that you're not. An example of how to use this in a, in a more positive manner, um, ESPN has a guy who I keep drafting because ESPN just ranks him super low. J.K. Dobbins is ranked at 77 on ESPN. In the expert consensus rankings on fantasypros.com, J.K. Dobbins is the 43rd overall player, even in PPR formats. The value that you're getting there is pretty absurd. So if you're going to overdraft someone on your site, you should you should give a look to Fantasy Pros just to see, does everyone else think I'm right? Is, is the site that I'm using crazy for having him this low? Or am I the crazy one? And more often than not, I don't want to say you're always wrong. I just feel like more often than not, if 155 fantasy experts who do this for a living agree on where a player is ranked, I think more often than not, they are going to be right about that player, or at least more right than you are. Next tip that we picked up on um, in this most recent draft that we did, avoid players with red letters next to their name. Um, two ways you can do this. One, read. And two, don't auto-draft. Because auto-draft has... The, they're just going to take players based on rankings and what positions you have filled and what you haven't. And so if you've got players like Alvin Kamara and Jackson Smith and Najigba at the top of your board just because no one else has drafted them and then you auto-draft in back-to-back picks, then you just drafted two zeros to your starting lineup. That's rough. Um, you definitely don't want to be put in that situation by auto-draft. You really don't want to be put in that situation by yourself either. Even if it's just the big red Q next to their name and not the big red O or the IR, or the sus, in the case of Alvin Kamara, who's currently suspended. Guys like Jerry Judy and Terry McLaurin, they are projected to score points right now. That could very quickly and very easily change. In fact, most beat reporters surrounding both of those teams think that Jerry Judy and Terry McLaurin are not going to play week one. So as a general rule of thumb, if you're caught between one or two players and one of them has red letters next to their name, draft the guy on the clean slate. For all of the reasons that I've already talked about, but also the Cooper Cup case has brought up the very interesting point of 
both re-injuring and compound injuries. Re-injuring is very straightforward. I don't think I need to explain that to you. Compound injuries are, or excuse me, compensation injuries. I abbreviated it, thought I was smarter. I'm not. Compensation injuries are when you injure, let's say, your right ankle. And so to compensate for injuring your right ankle, you are walking like more on your heel, right? And that stretches out your calf. And then because you're walking funny, you injure your calf. Is this a good example? No, it's probably never happened like that in the history of the world ever. But you, you understand the train, the logic that I'm going for here. You try to compensate for your injury with another body part. This happens when players try to rush back from injury a whole lot. So that's just, I mean, you you already have listened. You already know that you don't want to draft a player with a big Q next to their name. But it's hard sometimes when you see the guy who's ranked 13th overall sitting there at 30th overall. And you're like, ooh, that, that's a big red scary Q. But what if? No, there's so many reasons not to let someone else make that mistake, please. The two final bits of information that we picked up in this last draft, we're going to get through it pretty quickly and wrap up here. The first of which, don't name your team name before the draft, especially if your team name is centered around a particular player. If you name your team after Jackson Smith and Jigba, you're you're gonna try to draft Jackson Smith and Jigba, who I've already explained in my previous episode. Not a great pick for Guillotine. I think he's gonna be really awesome towards the end of the year, but he's a rookie wide receiver. He's in a crowded receiving room. He's on a run-heavy team, and he has a broken wrist. That makes him a really, really hard pick to be excited about early on in the year. It would also really suck if you drafted him and then... You know, he did really bad early on in the year. And then you got eliminated because you drafted him. Then you would hate Jackson Smith and Jigba, And that would be terrible because he's going to be a great player. He's going to be awesome. You don't want to hate someone who's going to be great. So don't draft him for guillotine. Sorry, I got on too much of a tangent there. I'm very passionate about Jackson Smith and Jigba in a lot of ways. I have him on every dynasty team that I own. I think he's going to be fantastic. I would not take him in a guillotine league until I have already filled up my starting roster. And maybe then, maybe and then some. The final thing that we've noticed, a question that people ask a lot in drafts, and there's really, there, there's conflicting opinions on it. Do bye weeks matter? In, if you're doing a regular fantasy league, no, they don't. You, you can take a loss one week and move on. It's not the end of the world. That is not how it works in a guillotine league, which you all know. I don't have to explain to you why that's not how it works. But not all bye weeks are created equal. If you draft a team and six of your eight starters have a bye in week 13, you're in fantastic shape. That's perfect. It, it doesn't get better than that. Because by the time you get to week 13, almost everyone on your team will be different, or at least they should be. 
if you're trying to make consistent upgrades throughout the season. But if you draft a bunch of people who have bye weeks in week five and week six, in fact, I will actually, I will go through the teams that have week five and week six buys. The Browns, the Chargers, the Seahawks, the Buccaneers, the Packers, and the Steelers. Those bye weeks are way more harmful than the later bye weeks. That should make sense. I don't think I have to explain a whole lot of that. Your, your team is shallower early in the year. You can't adapt to the bye weeks very easily. If you have a bunch of Bills and Vikings and Ravens on your team, by the time it's week 13, you're going to be able to very comfortably bench those players because the waiver wire is just it's plentiful at that point. The depth on your team is unimaginable. And also, by the time you hit week 13, two-thirds of the league has already been eliminated. You don't have to worry about those late bye weeks nearly as much. Those are players who I want to target because I know that I'm going to get more production out of them early on in the season. So to answer the question, yes, bye weeks do matter. You shouldn't make huge decisions based off of it, but this is absolutely a useful tool to have in your back pocket when you're drafting. And with that, we're going to go ahead and wrap up. I thank you all very much for tuning in to our very last edition of the Ultimate Guillotine Draft Guide. I hope it's been very informative, perhaps a bit entertaining. We've got two interview episodes lined up to be coming out in the next week, hopefully before Thursday Night Football kicks off with Chiefs versus Lions. We hope that you all will listen there, and I hope that you have a fantastic day.